Would you turn in the scripture please with me to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2. We've been on the subject for a number of weeks now on reverence and glory. Talking about honoring the Lord, what a factor it is in our life, how it affects us, how it affects how much God is able to do for us and among us. And we've been stirring ourselves up to learn more about this and how to do it. I think we're nearing the end of this particular series for now. But how many think we ought to keep practicing it the rest of the year and keep it in our mentality? Our text here in 1 Samuel 2, 1 Samuel 2 and uh, 31, the latter part of the verse says, the Lord says, Them that honor me, I will honor. They that despise me, shall be lightly esteemed. The Lord said, them that honor me, I will honor. Well, what if we don't honor him? We won't. He said, you know, those that uh, despise me. And a lot of times people think, well, I'd never despise the Lord, and yet it happens every day. The word despise in the scripture, means more than just disdaining and, you know, rejecting something out of hand. It can be as simple as not acknowledging something. Particularly, not acknowledging the value and importance of something. The word glory and the word honor are similar if you look up the definitions. And they have to do, the meaning of them have to do with Weight and weighty. The glory of the Lord is heavy. Heavy with everything good. You ever been in a situation, a place, whether it was a home or a service or a time of prayer or whatever it might be, when the presence of the Lord was manifested stronger than at other times? Makes you kind of want to slide down in your chair. Why? You see, on occasions in the Bible and in modern times, the people fall under the power. Why? Why would they fall? Well, you know, some people fall just because they think they're supposed to fall. <laughs> but there is the real thing. And, we, you know, in our circles, people have kind of been trained to fall. But falling doesn't heal you Falling doesn't fill you with the Spirit, and falling doesn't set you free. And yet, you see on more than one occasion in the Scripture where people fell in the presence. Didn't you say they decided to kneel? Something overwhelmed them. Something overwhelmed them. It was the heavy presence of the Lord, and it is glorious. Well, that same concept carries on. In every area of honoring the Lord, them that honor me, you could say it like this, them are those that esteem my things as valuable, as having great weight and worth and value. If they treat me like that, I'm going to treat them like that. 
those that treat me as unimportant and trivial and light, they're going to be lightly esteemed. Ever how you treat him and his things is how you're going to be treated in your life. Well, if we don't honor him, we won't be honored. Do we care if he honors us or not? You know, Jesus told people in his day as he walked the earth, he said, don't just seek the honor that comes from men, but the honor that comes from the Lord. We ought not be seeking honor and glory from each other. You know, if you get enlightened a little bit, you realize it's not worth much. (laughs) I don't care if, you know, 10,000 people chant your name for an hour and tell you you're amazing. People are so fickle. They can change their mind next week. And they can call your name and say, kill him. Kill him. Kill him. I mean, they, you see it in Scripture where they were uh, giving people accolades one day and they stoned them the next. People are fickle. And the Bible said with Jesus himself, at one point they came to make Jesus king. At one point in his life and ministry, the crowds did. And he just walked away. Because the Bible said he knew what was in man. And he didn't need any of them to, uh, you know, testify about him, to tell him who he was, give him glory, that kind of thing. He didn't need it. Because he knew. And when you and I know, we won't feel the need. You know, it's insecurity. To no matter what goes on, to go around and ask everybody what they think about what you said and what you did. You want to know the Lord, and you want Him to be real to you to the point that if He's pleased, if He's pleased, it needs to be real enough to know that if everybody seems like they think what we said and did was amazing and wonderful, if He's not pleased, then what they think just counts for nothing. But by the same token, if they all you know, think we're terrible and we're missing it and we're stupid and we're this and that. If he's pleased, then what they think doesn't matter either. How many of understand the majority is not always right? Have you ever studied the scriptures? How often was the majority right? Probably be hard to find a place. Again and again and again, the majority was against God. How many remember when they uh, were supposed to be going up into the promised land? And Joshua and Caleb were the only ones out of all that bunch that would believe God. We're talking about hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. What if they'd just gotten swept up with what other people thought? What do you care more about? What he thinks or what they think? What do you care more about? What are you more interested in? What such and such group, what such and such, you know, poll says, what this one, you know, polls. Somebody says, well, nine out of ten said that. Yeah, but what nine did you ask? Where were you? Who were you talking to? We can find you another nine. It says something different. Do not go by statistics. And don't go by what the media tells you. Oh, dear me. 
Have more sense than that. Honor the Lord. And what will happen? He will honor you. But what if we honored him more? What if we learned how to honor him more in our services? We learned how to honor him more at our house on a Monday morning. We learned how to honor him more on the job. What's going to happen? Is his word true? Then he's going to honor. How would he honor us? Oh, there's so many wonderful ways. He'll honor you. One of the greatest ways is by his presence. By manifesting his presence around you. And in his presence is fullness of joy. That includes his protection. How many understand him healing you is honoring you? Him healing your children and grandbabies. That's honoring you, isn't it? Him meeting your needs and tell you, so you don't, instead of having to scruffle around and, and feel like you have to beg somebody for anything, he sustains you so that you don't have need of reaching out and trying to pull on somebody else. That's honoring you. You got health, you can work, you can do your job, your needs are met, that's honoring you. You got a good marriage, you got a good family, that's the Lord honoring you. Do you see this? He's honoring you. Well, do you want more of that? What should you do then? You should learn how to honor him more. We've been talking about that for weeks. But let's go further into this in 2 Timothy. Turn there please. 2 Timothy 2. We've talked about how to honor the Lord. And we talked about just a few, you know, four basic things that keep coming up over and over. How to honor the Lord. How to honor people. One is how you see things. How you speak or how you hear about them. And how you speak about them. How you treat them. How you see a thing, whether you see it valuable or not. How you hear it. How many understand you listen differently to something you think is valuable? Don't you? Differently. If you think something, how many understand that if you've got a CD playing, you've got an iPod going in your ear, and the TV's on a station while you're supposed to be listening to somebody, you are not esteeming what they're saying. You don't care whether you get it or not. You know, people a lot of times, they have fights and arguments over being on the phone and somebody's interrupting them. And have you ever had somebody try to talk to you while you were on the phone? (laughs) <laughs> Boy, I'm getting looks all across the crowd. Yeah, and I don't like it. He said, leave me alone while I'm on the phone. Well, hold up. Is what you're doing on the phone more important than the person that's talking in the room? It's not, people will get, you know, all flustered about it. Well, I can't do both. Well, don't get frustrated. Do you know which one's more important? Well, if you know which one's more important, then shut the other one down. Well, I'm really sharp and I can multitask. Uh huh. Pilots, by definition, are multitaskers. I mean, flying a tight approach on a bad weather day. They tell us that uh, the synapses in the brain are happening about as much as a neurosurgeon in the middle of uh, one of the biggest, you know, 
brain surgeries right in the middle of it. Man, you've got to keep up with radios and, and instruments and flight controls. And it's just a bunch of stuff going at one time. But listen, you cannot do two or three things well at the same time. I don't care who you are. I'm not getting much of a response on that. What? While you're trying to do this at the same time, the other one's suffering. Nobody can do something like it could have been done the best way while doing other things. How many people are no longer with us because they were believed they were such great multitaskers while driving? They're no longer with us. Some things just require your attention. And how many understand when the Lord's talking to you? You ought not be trying to listen to a bunch of other things or do a bunch of other things. When you're reading your chapter, don't be trying to do other things. Answer emails, text mail, answer the phone when you're praying. Somebody is more important that you're talking to than other folks. And he's real. Are you with me now? It's real simple. You won't get frustrated. You know, you're on the phone. Somebody's trying to talk to you or something like that. Instead of getting frustrated, you just have to decide which is more important. And then shut the other one off. Say, sorry, I'll have to call you back. Right? Now, we live in a society that is full of this. Children. They're text messaging while their parents are supposed to be correcting them. This is unacceptable. Did you hear me? They're sending emails while they're supposed to be doing something else. This Someone says, well, I can do it. I, I can do it. It's no problem. No, you cannot do it. You cannot show proper honor and respect while doing it. And if you do it with people, you're doing it with God. No question about it. How many understand if you're going to treat something as valuable and important, everything else is set aside? We're in here this morning. What should we be doing? We should give ourselves to him. We should give his word our attention. We should give his spirit our full attention. We live in a world of divided, split distraction. Don't we? And people don't realize that's one of the big reasons why they are tired all the time. They got all this stuff going and don't know what's important. You got to choose. You can't do everything in life. Some things are important. Some things are not. Some things you should give your attention to. Some things you should not. There should be a lot of things you just don't have time for. You're not interested in. Brother Kenneth Hagin, when he was a teenager, bedfast, paralyzed, incurable blood disease, as they called it, incurable heart condition, as they called it, said he, you know, nobody in his condition had ever lived past 16, 17 years of age, and he was going just the way they said. And he got a little glimmer of something from the Bible about faith, and it stirred him. And he said, you know, he's paralyzed. And so he couldn't, a lot of times he'd be for hours or even days, couldn't even see, couldn't read. He called for him to come pray for him, and he couldn't find anybody that believed in anointing with oil. Nobody in his denomination believed in it. 
And when he was conscious, he'd try to read a page, but he said it'd take him sometimes minutes to just slide one page over because his body was so in such poor condition. But every waking moment he had, he's in this book because something inside him told him that's where your answer is. <laughs> Even though he didn't know it, he didn't know anybody that believed in healing or praying for the sick. He said something inside him, well, it was the Holy Spirit, yes, told him. That was his answer, that he could be healed, and the answer was in this book. So every waking moment he had, every moment he could function, that's what he's doing. Well, after a a few months of that, some of his friends and family got concerned about him. And they said, you know, he's just in that Bible too much. And so they had people come by to talk to him and say, well, you know, you could get fanatical and extreme in the Bible. If that's all you read, so one guy asked him, said, do you ever read any comic books? He said, no, sir, I don't have time. He thought, well, that sounds crazy. He's bedfast, <laughs> you know, day and night. Well, you don't have time. He said, you ever read any detective novels? He said, no, sir, I don't have time. Well, you ever read the newspaper? He said, no, sir, I don't have time. He's a 16-year-old boy. I don't have time. What does it mean I don't have time? Well, they tell me I should already be dead. I ain't got time to do all that. I need this. And I need to get in this. Well, they thought, oh, poor boy's going to lose his mind in that Bible all the time. They tried to talk him out of it. But glory to God, he stayed in there. Till he found Mark 11, 23 and 24. And he desired healing and believed he received it. And come up off that bed. And preached hallelujah. And got the word out for decade after decade after decade after decade. What if he'd have been a multitasking? Busy emailing his friends. Busy text messaging everybody. It's a problem today, friends. Because folk don't realize they are ignoring something important for something that is unimportant. Ignoring a word from the Lord in order to talk about the color of somebody's shoes. Or some other little silly thing. Now, it's okay to have some fun. It's okay to enjoy some things. But we need to know when it's time to turn it all off, set it aside, come on, and focus and give something our attention and treat it like it's valuable. If it's that valuable, it deserves our full, undivided, undistracted attention. Can you say amen? Did you find 2 Timothy? 2 Timothy, the second chapter. Parents, train your children properly in these areas. There are times you need to tell them, uh, son, put that phone up. Daughter, hang that up. Set that aside. I'm talking to you. And I mean, don't accept anything else. Are you with me now? And then you need to be the same way with those that are over you and your elders those you work for, those that are over you civilly and spiritually and every other way, and the Lord. 
Let's show respect. Second Timothy and the second chapter. Can you take some more? Good. Two and twenty one. Well, verse twenty. He said, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, from these what? These dishonorable things. Who's going to do it? Man purge himself. From these dishonorable things, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. We must learn what is dishonorable, what is not valuing and not showing respect and get it out of our life. Anybody with me on this now? And if we do so, we'll be a vessel that is meet and fit and able for the Lord to fill up with honor. And pour out his honor on and manifest his honor through. And this is according to our our text that we've been reading for all these weeks. If we eliminate the dishonor in our lives, what does it leave? The honor, and if we're honoring him more and more and not dishonoring him, then he's going to honor us. We're going to be vessels of honor. Vessels of valuing and respect. Go to 2 Corinthians 6, please. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion has light with darkness? What concord has Christ with Belial? What part has he that believes with an infidel? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I'll dwell in them and walk in them. I'll be their God. They shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them. Them what? We have to go back in the verse there. The unrighteous, the darkness, the things of the devil. Come out of that and be separate, we could say, from that, says the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I'll be a father to you, and you'll be my sons and daughters. Does that sound like honor? Yes, sir. Says the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, what promises? The promise that he'll be our father and walk with us and be in us, be our God. Having these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. That sounds like that verse we read in Timothy. Purge ourselves. Cleanse. Who's going to do this? He didn't say go to a cleansing meeting and have people lay hands on you, cast it out of you, rebuke it and bind it. No, what did he say? You are going to cleanse yourself from this, from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Let us cleanse ourselves. From all filthiness of flesh and spirit. Let's purge. If we'll purge ourselves 
from the dishonorable, then we'll be vessels unto honor. The devil is a defiler. He is a corrupter. In fact, go with me to Ezekiel, the 16th chapter, I believe it is. Ezekiel, well, there is one of the verses is there, but go to 28 first. Go to Ezekiel 28, and then we'll see if we've got time for that. Ezekiel 28, and this passage, a lot of you know it and have read it before, but many believe it's talking about the devil. And I think there are indications here that would confirm that. But Ezekiel 28 and 11 says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. Now, he had already talked in verse 2 about somebody he referred to as the prince of Tyrus, and he wound up saying he was a man, a man. But here, notice the difference. He said, King of Tyrus. And say to him, you seal up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You have been in Eden, the garden of God. Well, that man hadn't been there. That was years after the fall of Adam and Eve. This being he's talking to has been in the garden of Eden. Well, who was in there? Except Adam and Eve and the one that tempted them. You've been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, gold. The workmanship of your tablets and of your pipes was repaired in you in the day that you were created. Didn't say born. Created. You are the anointed cherub. Well, that's not a man. That covers, I have set you so. You were, not are, you were upon the holy mountain of God. You have walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. This doesn't sound like a man. You were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created till or until iniquity was found in you. There's no redemption for the devil. He was not tempted. He's the tempter. Nobody tempted him to do wrong. He was created perfect. He was created amazing and beautiful. And he was perfect in his ways from the day God created him until a time came that iniquity was found in him. By the multitude of your merchandise, they have filled the midst of you with violence violences of the devil you've sinned therefore I have cast you out as profane out of the mountain of God I'll destroy you O covering cherub from the midst of the stones of fire your heart was lifted up because of your beauty you have corrupted everybody say corrupted Corrupted. he is the corrupter Keep that in mind now. You have corrupted your wisdom by reason of your brightness. I'll cast you to the ground. I'll lay you before kings. They'll behold you. You have defiled your sanctuaries. Everybody say defiled. 
defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your traffic. Therefore, I bring forth a fire from the midst of you. It will devour you. I will bring you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold you. They that know you among the people shall be astonished at it. You shall be a terror and never shall you be any more. He is not going to make it. I said he is not going to make it. And he deserves everything he's got coming to. Sometimes people laugh about the devil. Nothing funny about him. People talk, you know, you hear people try to talk about how tough they are. And they say, uh, you know, something said about hell. And they say, oh, I'd rather rule in hell than serve in heaven. And, you know, I'm, that's my kind of company is the devil. And they do not have a clue what they're talking about. If they were in hell for three seconds... When they quit screaming, they'd never laugh again about him. And the devil, every terrible thing that you've ever seen in any human came from him. And you multiply that, I don't know how many times over, and that's who he is. And nobody tempted him or deceived him. He conceived it in himself. And used the beautiful things God gave him to pervert it and corrupt it. He is the enemy of God. And he's your enemy and mine. But the reason I'm saying this is because we need to see and be aware of his work and mentality as corrupter, defiler. He delights In making something dirty. He takes perverse pleasure. In defiling the innocent. In corrupting the pure. It's one of his favorite things. He cannot be pure again. He's as dirty. He's as filthy. He's as ungodly. As a being can be. And because he, can't, he can never be restored to cleanness. To purity. To holiness. And so you know what his desire is? To pull you down with him. To corrupt you. To defile you. He particularly delights in defiling our children. The innocents. In corrupting them. He is in every kind of abuse of children. He delights in it. He takes pleasure in it. In children being corrupted. And hurt. Innocent people. Being defiled. And the world round about us is influenced by him. Second Corinthians 4.4 4 calls him the God of this world. He's usurped that position. But you see his influence all around. And this idea, you see it, it comes through children, even when they're small, against each other. It comes through teenagers. It comes through adults. This thing about, who do you think you are? You're no better than me. Why are you too good to do this? It's just your body. Why are you so special? 
It's just your life. I mean, you, who do you think you are? That is corrupting, defiling talk. God wants you to separate yourself from all that defiles, all that corrupts. You might say, well, Brother Keith, I already have. I've defiled myself. I've corrupted myself. Thank God for the blood of the Lamb. (laughs) We're going to be shouting about that just a little bit later here. But the blood can make clean. No matter how defiled. No matter how corrupt. Why are we talking about this? Because this corruption and defilement is a devaluing. A failure to honor. A failure to value. Now, the stuff we were referring to a few minutes ago in the offering. People finding fault about Men and women of God or people of God having something nice. We talked about it with Jesus. When the woman came and brought the alabaster box of ointment. The Bible historians and those that study this tell us the box was worth a lot of money. And the ointment even more so. This thing was worth by today's money at least scores of thousands of dollars. Maybe more. And she just dumped it on his feet. Extravagant, lavish. And he could have corrected her, couldn't he? It would have been a perfect opportunity for him to say, Sister, this is not what I have taught y'all. You should have spent this for the poor. You should have done. He didn't say that. You know who said that? Judas Iscariot. And you know why he said it? Now, let's just stop here. We've talked about this before, but what's going on here? They're saying, what a waste. What a waste of this high dollar stuff. We could have done this with that. We could have done that with that. Why is it a waste? It's a waste because it was just poured out on Jesus. It's a waste Because it's just on that brother or that sister or that man or woman of God. That's a waste. It could have been used. Now hold on. Was it a waste? Jesus corrected them, didn't he? He said, you leave her alone. She has done a good work. And I'm going to see to it that everywhere this gospel is preached, this is told what she has done. Why? She honored him. Was it a waste? No, it was not a waste. What was their problem? They were not valuing him enough. They were valuing that money more than they were valuing him. And the man that was the most vocal about it sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. That's what he was worth to him. And that's why he made such a big deal. About the lavish gift. Now you watch. The same thing is true today. People who talk this way. Lavish, lavish, extravagant. They will sell you out. For little to nothing. The value. 
was where they were missing it. And it wasn't just Judas Iscariot. Several of the other disciples did the same thing. They got caught up in it. Jesus, when he came to his own hometown, they didn't value him. They said, this is just Jesus. We know him. We know his mom and his his brothers and sisters. And he's carpenter's boy. Who does he think he is? See, they're saying, you are making too much out of yourself. Was it true? What was the truth? They weren't making enough out of him. Did it affect God's ministering to their lives? He could there do no mighty work, the Bible said. Was he unable to honor them? Because they did not honor him. Is it true today? Oh, friends, come on. Open your heart. Open your mind to what's going on. I know, what was it, months ago we were talking about some things that involve uh, submission and authority and honor and, and the glory of God. And the Lord said to me, I wrote it down, He said, many of my people are not deriving the full benefit out of the gifts I've given them. They're barely getting the benefit of what I intended they should get. He's talking about when Jesus ascended, he gave gifts to men, didn't he? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And the reason being, they don't respect them. So in not respecting them, they don't give them a place in their life. And it's not just true with the gifts he's given, it's true with him himself. If you don't honor him and give him that place... He's not able to honor you. He's not able to do the things he'd like to do. In his own hometown, very limited. They didn't see these amazing things. Oh, but think about this. How many remember the story of the centurion? Remember that? And his servant. And listen to his talk. He sent representatives to the master. And this is what he said. He said... I didn't think I was worthy for you to come under my roof or for me even come to ask a personal audience with you. But if you'd just speak the word. And Jesus turned around and he marveled. He said, I hadn't seen faith like this through all of Israel. Why is this faith so strong? Why was Jesus so impressed? Is he valuing Jesus? Even though he is a man, he is a soldier, he's seen a hard life, he's seen violence, he's not a spiritual man, he's not a a prophet per se. He can't say he knows all the scriptures. That'd be an assumption. But here is a man, he sees what Jesus is doing, he hears about it, and he says to himself, this is a man of God. This is the prophet of God. He might not have known he's the Messiah, but he knew this is a valuable man. His words are valuable. Now notice this. He didn't demand a personal audience. He didn't demand personal time. People that do this are disrespectful. They expect, well, you should drop everything and talk to me. You should drop everything and give me a personal audience and see me. Well, you're already off to a bad start. It'd be hard for somebody to help you because you're already showing you don't respect them. Oh, can you see this? Listen to this man. He said, you don't have to come to my house. (laughs) You don't have to see me if you just speak. If you just say it. Is he valuing Jesus? Is he valuing his words? Did he get a miracle? He got a miracle. 
How about all the folks in Jesus' hometown talking about being critical? Who does he think he is? That's Joseph and Mary's boy. We know them. He's standing up. He's saying he's anointed. Mm-mm. If you honor me, what the Lord say? I will honor you. If you despise me, you'll be lightly esteemed. Hallelujah. Somebody say praise the Lord. The devil is the defiler. He is the corrupter. He wants us to debase ourselves. He wants us to lower ourselves. You know, uh, the Bible talks about our bodies. Don't turn there, but 1 Thessalonians 4 and 4. He says that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. The message says learn to appreciate and give dignity to your body. It grieves me when I see young people, teenagers and young people, they don't know the value of their body. They don't know the value of their virginity. And other ones tell them, well, who do you think you are? You know better than me or anybody else. And it's just sex and it's just this and it's just the other. And they don't see their self as valuable. And the devil will lie to you and tell you that you're ugly and you're awkward and nobody wants to have anything to do with you and you're fat and you're too skinny and this is too this way and not enough this way and all. And you're developing. You don't even know what you're going to look like yet. Adults, how about telling our young people, is it true? You continue to develop into your 20s and right and 30s and you're not through. You don't know. But you know this, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And you've been bought with a price. And your body is valuable. And your soul is precious. Do not let anybody cheapen you and debase you. And don't let them despise you. And cause you to despise yourself. Don't let the devil corrupt you. Don't let him defile you. Just don't do it. Sex is everywhere. Talked about. Demonstrated. Illustrated. Every magazine. Every show. And notice how it is. Again and again. It's treated as dirty. And base words are used. To describe acts and it's vulgar and it's dirty and it's filthy. Relations between a husband and wife are not supposed to be dirty. They don't have to have anything to do with dirty. But what has the devil done? He wants to corrupt and debase and cheapen and make people feel guilty and ashamed about everything. Including their own self and their own body. He's a liar. I said he's a liar. He's corrupt. He's filthy. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. By the blood of the Lamb. And most everybody in here has made mistakes. And defiled themselves in some way or another. But we can be clean again by the blood. And we can stop it. I said we can stop yielding to things that corrupt us and defile us. One of the devil's favorite things is that you've already messed yourself up now. You might as well go all the way. I mean, you've already blown it. You've already lost your innocence. You've already lost your purity. You might as well just, you know. 
And the Bible talks about people that debased themselves unto hell. They just yielded and yielded and yielded. And you find people in these kind of lives, they despise their self. They do not respect their self. Well, think about it. Why would you let something just get dirtier and dirtier and dirtier and not clean it up? Why would you let something just get more and more mal-shaped and messed up and not maintain it and not take care? Why would you do that? Because you don't value it. You see people sometimes get a car. It's brand new. Man, they wash it five times a week. Vacuum it just as many. But then after a few years, you got burger wrappers in the floor. You got mud from last year. Hadn't been got out of the floor. What happened? Huh? Well, your value of it has it just keeps dropping until you get to the place where the fenders are flapping and Nothing's been maintained. Nothing's been taken care of. Why you just keep letting it get worse and worse and worse? Because your estimation of it keeps falling. Your value of it keeps dropping. With our bodies. With our lives. With our family. With our spouse. How many know the Bible teaches wives that they're to respect and honor their husbands? And the Bible teaches husbands in 1 Peter 3, they're to honor their wives. Is that true? What does that mean? It means treat each other as valuable. Valuable. Don't wait until somebody's or something's not in your life to value it and appreciate it. Value it now. Show respect now. Show honor now. Let me remind you of a few things that the Bible says we are to honor and value. I won't take too much time, I don't think. Just listen to these things. The Bible said the anointing is precious. Hallelujah. I won't even read all these verses, but the Bible said... Our seed is precious. The Bible said God's thoughts are precious. And his words are pure. They've been refined seven times. More precious than gold. The Bible says wisdom is precious. The Bible says the godly woman and wife and mother is precious. More precious than rubies. Our bodies we've already talked about is precious. Our departure from this life is precious. The Bible said precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Our faith is precious. Men and women of faith, the Bible said, are precious. The name of Jesus is precious. Can you say amen? Amen. Souls are precious. The Bible says the redemption of them ceases forever. It is so precious. The Bible says silver and gold cannot buy redemption. But there was something precious enough and more precious that could buy it. Anybody know what it was? What was it? First Peter 1.18 says, You know you are not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but you are redeemed with the precious 
blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish, without spot. Say precious. Precious. What's precious? Oh, the blood of the lamb. Oh, the blood of the... What can wash away my sin? What can make me whole again? What can cleanse away the vilest stain? What can make me pure again? From corruption and defilement and sin. Is there anything that can do it? There is. I've had people look at me with tears and say, yeah, but you don't know what I've done. And I said, yeah, and you don't know how powerful the blood is. It doesn't matter what you've done. The blood can make you clean again. Pure again. But how many know when you've been cleansed, you need to make up your mind not to defile yourself again. Not to corrupt yourself again. Don't do it. Don't let the devil debase you. Don't let him convince you that you have no value. He's a liar. He's corrupt. He wants to make us like him. But he's not our Lord. We have a Lord. And he's pure. He's high. He's holy. He's perfect. He's Jesus. The Bible said he is the stone which was disallowed and rejected of other men. But he is chosen of God. He is precious. Hallelujah. He was only worth 30 pieces of silver to Judas. But he's worth more than that to us. He's everything. How many believe that Jesus is everything? He's everything. He's everything. Stand up on your feet and say it out loud. He's everything. Jesus is everything. 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 Oh, lift up your hands. Lift up your voice. Lift up your words. Tell him how important he is to you. Tell him how valuable he is to you. Oh, Lord, you are worth thee. Worthy. 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 Worth everything. Worth above all. Oh, how worthy. 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 You're worth more than all the money in the world. Worth more than all possessions. Worth more, more, more. And you've given yourself to us. Oh, hallelujah. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.